Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge podcast. It's good to be back after a maternity leave hiatus. My husband and I welcomed a little girl into the world in July, and it's been an incredible journey so far, and also exhausting, but so worth it. But I'm excited to be resuming the podcast, and especially with guest Misha Smith, a sixth grade teacher at Boise's Hawthorne Elementary. She recently earned two major recognitions for bringing environmental science and geography to the classroom in innovative ways. One of those honors, the Grosvenor Fellowship, will fund a trip for her around the tip of South America. In this episode, we'll hear more about that and about how Misha uses experiential learning, field trips, and projects with real-world impact to spark students' passion for learning. Here's the show. So before we talk or jump into talking about Misha's recognitions, let's get to know her a little bit more. So Misha, can you tell us more about yourself, where you're from, how long you've been a teacher, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, so I grew up in North Idaho. I actually went to Post Falls High School um, and I became a teacher because my mom was a teacher and I would help her in her classroom and and help her get ready at the beginning of the school year and i thought all of that was fun i also thought it was pretty cool that she didn't have to work in the summertime (laughs) plus i just really loved kids and i noticed that relationship that she built with her students um, was really powerful so i i thought that was cool i wanted to i wanted to have those relationships with my own students so i followed her into the profession um I've been teaching at Hawthorne Elementary in Boise for, uh, this is year 26. So my entire career has been teaching sixth grade at Hawthorne Elementary. I started here and I'm gonna retire here. I don't know, I just, I just fell in love with the community. The Hawthorne, it's a, it's a small little school. Um, I. There's just something special about it. I don't even know how to put it in words. They're just, it's just a, a fun little community. The kids all walk to school. I've had like siblings from entire families. I've taught taught kids from um, like the parents. I've taught the parents and then I've taught their children now. So I'm starting to get <laughs> kids of my former students coming through. So that's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And I just lucked out. I didn't think I was gonna love sixth grade when I first started teaching and I actually ended up it's my it's my special spot so I looked out mm-hmm. yeah that's really awesome um I'm curious what grade did your mom teach uh, she taught fifth grade and third grade uh-huh yeah I used to be a teacher and my mom was a teacher and I remember doing the same thing going and helping her set up her classroom and things like that so that's really cool and I love that you've been there for 26 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Um, and you're just still loving it and sticking with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very cool. So I wanted to ask you about environmental education because that's what your recognitions have been for. So why is that such a huge passion for you? And why do you think that's so important for students to learn about? Um, I think it stems from growing up in North Idaho, my backyard was the forest. And so I would go, when we had free time, I would just go and explore the woods. And um, 
create forts and my sister and I used to pretend there were fairies living in our in the woods behind our house and so we would build little like fairy houses for them and um I think that that connection to nature brought a, a true appreciation for the environment uh when I was in college I took a project learning tree class as one of my credits and fell in love with um, that curriculum. So when I, even when I was student teaching, I, I was teaching some project learning tree classes. And um, also while I was in college, I worked for an outward bound um, camp, kind of like a summer camp. And we would do all kinds of environmental education. So I, I kind of had that little foundation. And then once I had my own classroom, it just like slowly built from there. Um, environmental education, I think, is one of the most important things we can teach because um, if students can get an appreciation for the outdoors and, and feel that connection with the natural world, then they will um, um, appreciate it that much more and um, make positive choices in their own lives that will impact our environment. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's also convenient that our sixth grade science curriculum, it's, you know, ecosystems and biodiversity and cycles in nature. So like climate um, and weather and all of that. So it fits in perfectly. Um, we've, for years, we had this longstanding tradition in the Boise district where sixth graders would go to McCall for a week for an environmental field trip. And um, although COVID kind of put a stop to that, and then because of equity issues, the district decided not to continue that, that format, but we have been working on creating an environmental field experience for sixth graders to go on. In fact, my class is going this week, so we're really excited about it, where we do a local place-based field experience where we go on three different field trips in the week, trying to answer one, um, <clears throat> one overarching question for the whole week. So we're just studying that question all week in all of our different experiences. So like we're going to the Foothills Learning Center, we're going to the Botanical Gardens, we're going to Intermountain Bird Observatory, and all of these three different locations, those providers are working towards helping students answer that question. Um, so what is... Yeah, Sorry, you're probably just about to say this, but what is the question they're answering this week? Um, I can't remember the exact wording of the question off the top of my head, but it has to do with the resources available in an ecosystem and how that affects the diversity within that ecosystem. So we can tie in all kinds of like climate change questions, biodiversity questions, human interactions with the ecosystems and what those impacts are. Um, so there's there's a ton of things that we can connect with that, and it ties right in with our science curriculum. So it's a great it's a great way to put it all together. And we're working to expand that so that every sixth grader in the district gets to participate in that. Where I think we're at the point now because this is year three, we've done this model, and I think we have a little over half of all the sixth grades, the schools participating. So it's like the slow rollout over the next. I think in two more years, we'll have everybody included. So they're all participating in this week's field trips? Um, well, it's over two weeks in the fall, and then we'll have another week, maybe two in the spring. And so everybody so, tries to do at least one of those weeks? 
Yes, yes. Gotcha. And there's three different strands. So ours is the ecosystem strand, and then there's a watershed strand, and then there's a, oh gosh, I can't remember the other one. There's another one. Mm -hmm. And I think we might add another strand too. So we're really just trying to get all of the schools involved. Mm -hmm. So you were telling me before we started recording, but will you say for the listener's sake where you're going this week in the Boise area? Yeah, so my class with our strand, we are going to the Foothills Learning Center. And then we are going, so that's tomorrow. And then Wednesday will be the Botanical Gardens. And then Thursday, we kind of have two locations we're going to. One is the Boise Downtown Learning Garden, which is actually a garden that's run by the Boise High School Environmental um, I think, I don't know if it's the club or if it's the actual class, probably both. Um, so we're going to be going there. So kind of looking at an urban garden and then um, going down to the river site for the Intermountain Bird Observatory, which is runs through Boise State University. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And I really love what you said that this was designed to be local so that it could um, be more equitable for all students. And I think it's a really cool idea that any district could really implement. I mean, Boise has a lot more resources than most places, but even so, I'm sure in any given town, you could find like a place to do bird watching and a local expert to team up with. You could find like a, a garden of some sort to visit, you know, there's little places like that that they could incorporate, I'm sure. Right, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's great. I bet your kids are going to love that this week. So, they are, yes. And they probably come into your class knowing they get to do this stuff. So is it like, yay, we get to go to Miss Smith's class and do field trips? <laughs> yeah, we do a lot of field trips. So not, so not just the environmental field trips. I try to cater my field trips throughout the school year to tie in with, so my class creates a geo-inquiry question mm -hmm. at the beginning here and we have yet to create our question because I always want to wait until after this week worth of field trips because we get a lot of inspiration while we're out in the field for these next three days um, and then we're going to come together and come up with a question the question is again a location based so it's called geo inquiry because the geo is the geography mm -hmm. and then inquiry because it's a question and it's tied in with our science curriculum um, it has something to do with a problem um, Idaho is facing with our environment. So they pick the question and then they spend the entire year researching the question, gathering data. We, I tailor all of our, like I bring in guest presenters, um, all of our field trips connect to that question. Um, we do writing activities and research activities. The kids read nonfiction articles and like I said, research. And then at the end of the year, the part of the process that's the most fun is they get, once they've gathered all of their data, they um, visualize that information. They create some way of putting it all together. So it might be a map, it might be a poster, a presentation, a brochure or something so that they can share what they've learned with others. Sometimes that's with other kids in the school. So they're going into the classrooms and teaching. Sometimes that's through um, writing articles Last year's class actually had two articles published in your newspaper. Um, we were studying how climate change affects the biodiversity in the Treasure Valley in Idaho. That was their question. And they had written um, 
argumentative essays kind of, but it was more in an article format. Mm -hmm. And um, every student in the class wrote an article, but then we voted, we read each other's articles and we voted which ones we wanted to be represented. And so some of them got submitted for publishing and you guys generously published two of them. It's pretty Yeah, cool. I remember that. That was fun. There was a picture yeah. of each of the authors and whatnot. That was cool. Yeah, yes. And then we submitted, we had another students that was submitted in our school newsletter. So all the families got to read it. And then we sent some of the letters were rep to our local representatives. So our district, I think it's 18 or 19, which is the Hawthorne neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We sent it to those representatives as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so they, so we tie in all of our language arts, our science, some social studies, because there's a lot of mapping involved. Um, there's math involved because we're collecting data and we just kind of, it's like our little connection all year long. And then at the end, we try to do something where we can give back. So again, last year's class, we adopted a plot of land um, in the Barber Park area. So there's the Golden Eagle Audubon Society is partnering with the city of Boise for a project called the Boise River Rewild and their different organizations around the Treasure Valley are adopting plots of land that have been taken over by um, invasive species, or maybe there was a fire there, or maybe there was like from a long time ago, industrialization, something that caused that area to not be the way it's supposed to be. And um, we adopted a plot. And so this, this last year's class that's one of their action projects. They chose to adopt it. And so last year we were able to go in and start pulling some of the invasive species weeds out. And then it's a two year project. So our this year's classes um, inherited this adopted plot. And so we're gonna be going this fall and clearing out some more weeds and then actually getting to plant some native plants. Mm -hmm. And then in the spring, it's our job to make sure that we pull the weeds and make sure they get watered and yeah. yeah. I love this approach that you take with your students to learning where they get out in the real world and make connections and do things. And then they create something that has an impact. It's not just like an essay or a project that you see and that's the end of it. Like it goes out and lives in the world in the hands of a politician or in a newspaper. And I think that probably leads them to have a lot more buy-in and interest and excitement. So yeah, I actually don't even have to grade most of the work that we do for that particular project. I do because, you know, like when they write an essay, hey, there's a there's a writing grade that I can take from that. Um, but it doesn't take any coercion. Like you don't have to talk them into doing it. They get very excited. And one thing that really struck me last year when we were doing that writing activity is my most reluctant writers, my kids who are like on IEPs because they struggle with reading two of those kids were actually, their writing was selected by the class to be, um, one of them was actually published in your newspaper and another one was the one that was chosen for the school newsletter. So it was an opportunity for these students who normally struggle in the area of reading and writing because they were so interested in it, they were able to shine, like their personality came through in their writing because they were so passionate about the topic it was a really fun opportunity for them to be successful in something that they normally struggle with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is so cool because, um, you know, the argument for grades from a lot of people is like, that's what gets kids to do it, you know? But I love mm -hmm. that your students aren't motivated by getting the A. 
they're motivated by just the process and the journey and whatever they're going to create at the end. That's super cool. It's fun. Mm. It sounds like you make it fun for them. Um, yeah, I think those kids really enjoy it. Some are just along for the ride, like, oh, we're doing another thing outside. Here we go. But <laughs> I would say that most of them get very passionate very quickly. Yeah. Well, I can also tell that you're doing a great job, not just because of your students' engagement, but because of these recognitions you've gotten, which you are skillfully avoiding talking about. <laughs> um, but one of them is the Presidential Innovation Award for Environmental Educators. So can you just tell us a little bit about that, what it is, and how it's going to help you in the classroom? Um, yeah, it's an award that is um, given through the Environmental Protection Agency, so it's EPA award, and um, 10 educators from around the country received the award, so I was the Region 10 winner, which is the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I actually heard about this award it was funny, I had two different people send me the information from the award. Mm -hmm. One of them was a former student of mine who's actually um, an environmental scientist now, which is kind of fun. <laughs> former student from many, many years ago. I think she's probably 30 by now, I'm aging myself. <laughs> but um, anyway, she had heard about it and sent it to me and she's like, you should apply for this. And then another teacher in my building saw it and sent it to me too. So I was like, well, I guess I have to apply because a couple of people have sent me this. Um, yeah, so you apply, you have to fill out, you know, some essays and you send in some work samples of what you've been working on. But it was really exciting. I got to travel to Washington, D.C. this summer to receive the award. So I got to go to the EPA office and I met several of the teachers. Not, I don't think every teacher was able to travel there, but I was able to meet these great educators from around the United States and hear about all of the really cool projects that they were doing. They also have a student award too, so student groups that are doing projects. So I was able to listen to presentations from those groups and learn about the cool projects that they're doing as well. So all of these awesome connections that I was able to make. And then it also comes with money. So um, the award, so I received money and those funds are for me to um, attend some kind of professional development. Um, I, I am planning on um, attending the Green Schools Conference, which is in New Mexico this spring. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really excited about that because our district has just created a green team coordinator at every building from elementary all the way through high school. So every school, every building in the school now has a teacher who's in charge of a green team and it's a student team the students are called green ambassadors, ambassadors, and they get um, they get to choose what project they want to work on, some kind of sustainability project for the school. I mean, it could be something as simple as recycling, but it could be something so much more like installing a native garden in the school or working on energy efficiency in the building. Um, kind of the sky's the limit. So um, we're putting together our little green team. Our green team at Hawthorne has decided to call themselves the Earth Nerds, <laughs> and they are um, fifth and sixth graders from four different classes that we're putting together this little team. So are so, the coordinators, the coordinators are teachers, like it's a club that they take on kind of thing? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes, yes. But the district, what I love is the district is prioritizing this. And so they're making it a leadership position. So there is a little stipend that goes along with it. Nice. So if, if 
if it's, I mean, there are green teams in the buildings in our district, and I'm sure there's green teams in buildings all over the state of Idaho, where a passionate teacher just takes it on and decides to create this club on their own, and then mm -hmm. they just give their time to do that. But the district, Boise district has prioritized this, which is pretty awesome. I'm very excited about that because, you know, it's like a little stipend position. So they've set aside money to make this happen. Yeah, at Century High in Pocatello, where I used to work, we had a tree huggers club. And it kind of sounds like a similar idea. They focused on like recycling and things like that around campus. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm really excited. We'll see. I mean, our team is just getting created. We've, we've developed, we've come up with a name. We're working on a logo and we've done some, um, we have a native garden in the front of our school. And so we've done a couple of days of like pulling weeds in the garden together. So we're just in the infancy, but it's pretty exciting. So, so I'm going to the green schools conference. I'm going to use my money for that. And then we also get, so we get $2,500. The school gets that from the EPA um, and that money is supposed to go towards environmental education in, at Hawthorne Elementary. So we already have an environmental education um, kind of a grant fund. Um, when we used to take the kids to McCall, we, um, we would have to do massive fundraising to be able to go on a week long trip to McCall. And, uh, COVID year, we did all the fundraising and didn't get to go. So that money has been just kind of hanging out in, a, in, a, in an account. And so last year we decided as a school leadership team, we decided to create an environmental education fund for all of the teachers to access, not just the sixth grade. So this money is going to go be added to that, that fund. So we've created just like kind of like a little mini grant in our own school. So if another grade level is like, we want to do a day out, they can use yeah, the funds absolutely. for that. So they just fill out a little Google form of like, hey, we want to go to Celebration Park. We need help paying for the bus. And so they fill out the form. And then our we have like a little green team committee of teachers and we read their requests and we approve it. Or if a teacher wants to do a lesson on growing plants and needs the materials to do that and they put in that I'm, I'm just thinking of some things uh, that teachers filled out last year if they want to buy um we had some teachers last year want to buy um i think there were like little field microscopes that they could take out mm -hmm. so like that i was gonna ask with the week-long field trip that you're doing this week that you were talking about how do you guys afford that with the buses and whatnot does this fund pay for that or how is that covered um, so we have, so the great thing about the district was when they originally decided to do this a couple of years ago, we decided like, because part of the problem was an equity issue. So the schools couldn't afford, they couldn't do the fundraising or the families couldn't afford to pay for the trip. And so that's why we wanted to make sure everybody had access to it. So, um, every student is, um, asked to pay, every family is asked to pay $15 for the the full week's um, field trip. And then the district is using some of their science funding to help pay for kind of to pick up. Mm -hmm. So basically what the students are paying is paying because some of these providers like require payment for their services. And so they're paying for that. And then the district is, I think the district is mostly just picking up transportation costs. 
And I'm sure if a student couldn't afford the $15, there would be a way to cover it, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, nobody's gonna be left behind. Again, it's like we don't want financial reasons to be the reason why a student can't get outside and learn. Yeah, awesome. All right, so let's talk about the second recognition you got. And I am sure I'm gonna mispronounce this, but you were named a Grossmanor Teacher Fellow. Is that how you say it? Um, yeah, it's just um, Grosvenor. You don't say the S. Yeah. <laughs> I was not even close. Okay, you were named a Grosvenor Teacher Fellow, a program administered through a National Geographic and Lindblad Expeditions Partnership, and that recognizes educators committed to authentic geographic education. So tell us more about that. As a fellow, I know you get to travel around the tip of South America. So just tell us about that trip, why you chose Patagonia, and what you're hoping to get out of it. Um, yes, I'm very excited. I actually leave in four weeks, so I'm starting to like make my packing list, and I'm planning how I'm going to get my students connected. But um, yeah, it's an, it's an amazing professional development opportunity um, that I get to participate in. Um, I chose Patagonia, so you're able when you apply for the fellowship, you um, can kind of put in your preferences. And I chose the Patagonia trip because it connects so well with our social studies curriculum in sixth grade. We study Latin America. And then of course the science connections, you know, all of the ecosystem and the climate connections with those two units in science. So that was my first preference. And I luckily got my first preference. It's really exciting. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to, um, when I when I do the expedition, so I get to travel on a ship. So we fly into Santiago, Chile, and we get to explore that for a day. And then we go on to, um, we get to go to, and I probably going to pronounce it incorrectly, but I think it's Ushuaia, which is Argentina. It's the southernmost city in the world, mm -hmm. in the southern tip of Argentina. And that's where we embark on the ship and we get to travel all around the southern tip of South America. We get to, we have special permission to go to an island that's called Staten Island that no other tourists are allowed to go to. So just like scientists and naturalists get to travel. And so it's mostly untouched by man. There's some historical, like there is the lighthouse at the end of the world that Jules Verne wrote about is located on this island. There used to be a penitentiary on this island many, many years ago. And then when it was abandoned, um, it was just kind of left to the wildlife. So it's really exciting to be able to go to this place that has been for decades untouched by man. And we just have special permission to go explore and see all of the wildlife. Um, we will hopefully be able to sail around the southern tip of Cape Horn, which can be exciting because there's a lot of, um, that's where the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean run into each other. So it's really kind of wild area. And then we get to go to a national park in Chile and explore all of the Chilean fjords. And so I'm just most excited about the wildlife and then just being able to gather all of this really cool information and bring it back to not just only my students, but I'm planning on um, connecting with other kids in the school. And then of course, moving forward, um, part of the fellowship is we develop um, curriculum for National Geographic. And then that information gets just kind of spread throughout the entire National Geographic education world. Um, 
but I'll be able to make connections through um, other teachers all around the state of Idaho as well. So I'm pretty excited. So the others on the trip, will they also be teachers? There are three other teachers on my trip. So there's a total it, with the fellowship, there's a total of 50 teachers and it's from, um, we have, I think four or five are from Canada. And then most of them are United States. We even have one from Puerto Rico, which is really fun that we've got all of these connections. So they're all from North America. Um, they're going on all different expeditions around the world. So Lindblad Expeditions goes to Antarctica and they go to the Arctic and they go to Greenland and Iceland and they go to Japan. And so just all over the world. Um, but there are four of us that are going to Patagonia. So on this, and these are, um, um, these expedition ships, there are also um, people who pay for these experiences as well that'll be on the, on the trip. But also on the ship will be um, naturalists and there's an undersea specialist and there will be National Geographic photographers. So we'll have all of these experts that we get to learn from. Mm -hmm. Man, what, a, what an awesome opportunity for you. So you leave in four weeks. And how long are you gone on the trip? Is Did you say it was um, 10 days? Um, I am gone for two weeks, so two weeks. it ends up being 12 days. Mm -hmm. And you'll have a substitute, of course. Yeah, um, I actually have a student teacher, so it works out perfectly. Oh, that is perfect. And she's already like almost to the point where she's taking over most of the day anyway. So right around then, it'll be perfect Yeah. Timing. Yeah. What are students saying about your trip? Um, they're very excited about it. This year's class is just kind of, we're just kind of getting into, I'm sharing the information about the trip. We're going to be using this before I go on the trip. We're going to be using this as an opportunity to learn some um, research and nonfiction reading um, strategies. And then they're going to write um, an informative essay. So they're each going to study an animal from the region that I'm traveling to that I may or may not get to encounter. So they're going to be doing their research and putting together an essay um, to go with that. And then hopefully I'll be able to bring back photos of their animal mm -hmm. or at least learn some more information for them. So they have that connection. Um, I'm planning on hopefully reaching out to every classroom in the school and doing just like a short little presentation it's kind of teaching the class about um, what is an explorer's mindset and um, telling them a little bit about my trip. And then I want each of the classes to create an inquiry question that I can hopefully answer, answer for them while I'm on the expedition. And then when I come back, I can do another little mini presentation in their classroom to share what I did and then hopefully answer their question. Mm -hmm. And then my final connection is my last year's class. So my last year's class were with me the entire process from when I applied, I told them all about my application process and showed them, I showed them the type of questions I had to answer and my essay questions, because I was using it as an opportunity to show them, like here's where the, all of these writing skills come in handy when you have these essay questions you have to answer for a work-related thing. Or for my example was the, like the EPA award had nine different essay questions and National Geographic had some essay questions. So I I wanted to um, include them in that whole process. So I shared with them like the answers to my questions and they knew I had applied. And I actually had 
when I got the phone call to find out that I that I actually received the fellowship, um, it was during lunchtime that I had a couple of kids in at lunch working on a project. And when I got on the phone, I was like, they they could tell, they just knew. Um, they all flocked to the desk and they were like, and they were like silently dancing. And then they ran outside to recess to tell the rest of the kids that I, that I had got it. So, I mean, they were just like so excited for me. So um, what I've done with them, cause they're off in junior high now, they're at South junior high, mm-hmm. um, is I created a little Google form that I emailed to them and um, they are suggesting some challenges for me to undertake while I am on my expedition. And some of those challenges so far from what I've been receiving from students, like one of them is take participate in the polar plunge. So jump into the, mm-hmm. the icy cold water. <laughs> um, another one is taste an iceberg. <laughs> and another one is they want me to sample some kind of local food, the weirder, the better. Mm-hmm. So they're coming up with these challenges for me to participate in. And then I've already gotten permission from their counselor at South. They have an advisory period at the end of the day. So when I return from my expedition, I can go over there and meet with them during their advisory period. And I can do a little mini presentation for them too. So, cause I don't want them to be left out. They were there the whole, yeah. through the whole process. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love how invested the kids are and that you share the whole process with them. Cause again, it's just more real world connections. Like here's why you're doing it. It's more for like a grade or a diploma. It's for, you know, what it can do for you in your life. That's great. Right. It's, it's an opportunity to teach them perseverance too, because the Grosvenor teacher fellowship I've applied multiple times. So I want to show them like, Oh, I didn't keep, know that. Yeah. Keep trying. And mm-hmm. you know, hopefully you'll eventually do it. Like every time I feel like my application has got, gotten stronger and obviously it was strong enough this year to be selected. So, so how many times have you applied before? Um, I applied one time before I would have pl- applied probably a couple of times, but COVID put a, a hold mm-hmm. to the program. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I applied right before um, COVID. So I think it was 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, good for you for doing it again. Cause I know those applications are so time consuming and it could be really discouraging to invest all that time and not get it. So mm-hmm. I really think it's great that you made the effort to do it again. It obviously paid off. Yes. Yes, it did. Um, and parents, I'm sure, have been supportive and excited as well, right? Oh, yes. Yes, they are probably as excited as the kids, to be honest. <laughs> That's awesome. I've had parents that I don't even know from the school come up and talk to me about it. And I'm like, okay, now what grade is your child's in? <laughs> You're a local celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> so these are really exciting things that have happened, but like they didn't come by chance or by luck. You worked really, really hard for them. Um, and you're doing it not just for you and the experiences you get, but because you get to bring it back to the classroom, back to the kids, make learning fun. But I know that you're putting in time outside of the classroom to do this. You would have to be. So um, why is it worth it for you to make that investment, to spend those extra hours trying to find, look up, and secure these opportunities? Well, part of it is because I personally am passionate about these topics. So I'm fulfilling that 
in myself, but also because I can see, I have seen through the years, the impact that these, these projects and activities and field trips that I do with my students have on their learning. Um, because this is such real world place-based um, education, it's not just coming from a textbook or a video that we're watching online, they're actually going out into the field and they're learning how to gather data like a scientist. They're not just seeing what it is to be a scientist, they're actively being a scientist. And it's so engaging and it's so powerful. And I, my biggest, the biggest thing that I want kids to get out of everything that we do in my classroom is I want them to understand that they don't have to be an adult to do science and they don't have to be a professional scientist to be a scientist. And they don't have to wait to be an adult to make an impact in their community, in their environment, in the world, right? Mm -hmm. They can do these big things. They don't have to wait until later on in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, like we've done this incredible fundraiser for the last three years called the Walk for Water. And it came out of our geo inquiry project from a class three years ago that was studying the watershed. And we had read the book, A Long Walk to Water, and they decided they wanted to do this fundraiser where they would kind of like a, a walk-a-thon, right? But they're carrying jugs of water around our school track and they would get pledges from friends and family members and then send that money off to somewhere that there's a community that's in need for water. Um, so I actually have a connection with a local nonprofit organization called Vivid Roots. Actually, one of my former students started the nonprofit with a group of his friends and they bring um, water to communities in Guatem Guatemala who do not have access to clean water. Um, so I was able to connect my group of students who were really passionate about this idea of creating this fundraiser with um, Vivid Roots and they were able to create this fundraiser. And this is actually during the, not the COVID shutdown year, but you know, the next year after where it was a weird hybrid year. Mm -hmm. And so they met on Zoom calls and they planned this fundraiser. And the first year, let's see, I have it written down here somewhere. Let me find it. Um, it was over $6,000, $5,000 that they were able to raise for that fundraiser. And since then, the last three, two other classes have taken on the fundraiser because they've been really passionate about it. And they've been able to participate in the past when they were younger students. So now they want to run the fundraiser. So we've, like the past three years, we've help, helped thousands of people in Guatemala with um, getting access to clean water systems in their villages because of this fundraiser. And Vivid Roots, in fact, has since taken this fundraising model and spread it throughout the Treasure Valley in other schools. So it's been really exciting. So I, I use that as an example to students, like you guys are sixth graders and you are helping people in need in another country you're raising thousands of dollars every year to help these people. And you're 11 and 12 years old. Like you guys can make an impact on the world. And it's, you know, all you have to do is just kind of start small, but think big. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you're empowering kids because I think a lot of times they do feel like powerless or like they can't really do anything until they're 18 or they're waiting for that. So I love that you say, like, you know, you do have power right now and there's 
examples of that um, around the world with with kids speaking up and and making changes for environmental causes, especially. Um, Absolutely. And I hope that they understand that they have that power and they can move forward in their life and and join a cause that they're passionate about. It doesn't necessarily have to be environmental, Mm -hmm. um, be anything that they're interested in, but I hope that they just understand that like, I can do this, I can figure this out, I can make this happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you have graciously agreed to come back on the show after you go to Patagonia, which I'm really excited about. So we'll make that happen and we'll get to hear like how the trip went and what ideas you have for curriculum. And the cool thing for our listeners and the teachers out there is they'll ultimately have access to the curriculum you create for National Geographic, right? So they could turn around and utilize and implement some of that if they wanted. So um, I always end my interviews with teachers with a lightning round. And before we move on to that, do you have anything else you want to add about environmental education or either of these recognitions? Um, nothing that I can think of. I feel like I've probably talked, talked your ear off all about it. No, I love it. I think about in case you can't tell. I think it's fun to hear about. Yeah. I was going to let you know that. So I am, um, through all of these years of just being really passionate about environmental education, I have made all of these incredible connections through, Um, not just other teachers that are passionate along with me, but also um, education providers around the Treasure Valley and the state of Idaho. I mentioned earlier Project Learning Tree, but also just working with educators through like the Boise Watershed and the Foothills Learning Center, and then all, you know, the Birds of Prey. I've, um, there's this whole web and connection of providers, environmental education providers that are equally as passionate um, as many of us are on the board for the Environmental Education Association, so I would encourage your listeners to go check out the website, the Idaho Environmental Education Association. Um, they can be a member, become a member for just twenty dollars, um, and the membership goes towards funding grants for teachers all over the state of Idaho for doing projects at their schools. And then we also um, we participate in um, several different. Um, conferences throughout the state, like the Idaho Science and Math Conference and the Sustainability Conference. So we have a lot of fun activities that we do locally in the Treasure Valley. So they should go check it out. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that resource. Awesome. All right. So for the lightning round, I always ask teachers the same three questions. And I ask that you just kind of answer back with whatever first comes to mind. Um, Just like one minute quick answers, you know. So, number one, what's your favorite part about being a teacher? Uh, when students latch on to something that they're passionate about. So finding, it doesn't have to be the thing that I'm passionate about, environmental stuff. They find something that they're really interested, really curious about, and they are all in, and you have to actually tear them away to move on. Oh, it's time to move on to another subject, and they are so in that they want to come in at recess and work on it or they want to work on it at home and you don't even need to teach them anymore at that point they get so excited about it you just step back and watch them learn that is my favorite i love that you just kind of spark get it started and then they take it from there question two what has being a teacher taught you and what has been its greatest lesson 
Um, I would say two things. One is patience. <laughs> Obviously, people are always just that are not educators. They're just like, how do you do it? <laughs> a lot of patience. You just have to have a lot of patience and not just patience, but just that patience and understanding that everybody's doing the best they can with what they have. So patience, not only with students, but also with the families. Um, you know, if, if homework doesn't get done, just don't, don't be so high strung about it. Some teachers just get really upset about like, how dare you not do my homework? And it's, you need to understand that these kids have lives outside of school and and maybe they're, they have responsibilities, like maybe they're in charge of taking care of their little brother and sister, or maybe they have things that they're worried about at home, like their parents are more worried about putting food on the table than if their child can learn their math facts. Like there's, we don't know everything that's going on in everybody's lives, their mm -hmm. personal lives. And so just having that patience and understanding. Um, the other thing I think, and I've mentioned a little bit before is that hope, just kind of that hope for our future. And these, these kids really, truly just watching them get passionate and excited about things and making a difference in their world, even if it's just a difference in their little Hawthorne community. It's just so amazing to see that power that kids have. And once they've learned how to harness that power, and it gives me such hope for the future. People have a lot of gloom and doom about climate change. And I don't, I have a lot of hope because I know that our students are passionate about it as well. And they, they um, want to make a change in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I love the point you made about how being a teacher reminds you that you don't know everything about a given person and just to kind of give that grace when you get a chance. And mm -hmm. I love that your, your students still inspire you. It sounds like even 20, However many years later, 27 years, <laughs> 26 years later, they're amazing. They're just really <laughs> incredible little humans, not quite fully cooked yet, but they're almost there. Yeah. Especially when they're in sixth grade. Yeah. They're very close. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question three, what advice would you give a brand new first year teacher? Um, I think the biggest thing, first year teachers, and I always tell this to my student teachers, first year teachers, it's easy to get wrapped up in checking all the boxes and making sure that all of the little nuances of the curriculum are covered. And did we do page one? Did we do page two? The big picture is those relationships you build with students. And there's a lot more than just the subject area. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the math, the reading, the writing, obviously, our number one job is to make sure that we get those subject areas covered, but just making sure kids get those soft skills too on collaboration and responsibility and how to care for one another and how to build a little classroom family. That's, I think, the number one most important thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice to remember that you're creating future citizens, not just checking to-do lists from the, the curriculum. Right, yeah. And the more relationships they build with their students, the more the students are going to buy in to what they're doing. They're mm -hmm. going to they're going to jump right in and yes, I'll do whatever you want because they you have that relationship built and those relationships with families as well. It's just so important to have that that trust with family. So if something does go wrong, the parents trust you in what you're choosing to do, and they're not feeling like you know you're you're doing something to my child. It's like we're working together as a team to help your child. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Misha. And I'm really excited to catch up with you after your trip as well. Thank you. I'm very excited to share more about my trip after I come back. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Teacher's Lounge podcast. And don't forget to check out idahoednews.org for all the latest. See you next time.